Hey y'all, today is a Pride Month special. I have Gabby Leon. She works for the Help Center for the LGBTQ Health, located right here in Fort Worth, Texas. We're going to discuss on race awareness of HIV prevention among POC, specifically young black and brown gay men. Also, she is an indigenous Native American. Please give a warm welcome to ever-blessed Gabby Leon. So yes. tell me a little bit about yourself, dear. You know, my journey has has been a, a very interesting one. And when I was reading like your bio, I really connected with that because I was born and raised in Mexico. And, and I was reading that you were born in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a migrant. I don't like to use the word immigrant. But I'm a migrant because I think that as as someone who was born, you know, in in Mexico, that's where I was born. My ancestry, you know, indigenous Native American, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's who our people were. You know, they migrated um, and then they went back to their land, et cetera. So I I call myself a migrant, not an immigrant. I am I self-identify as Yaki Yoeme. I use uh, female pronouns. So she, her, hers. And I've been in the United States for about, oh my goodness, about 27 years. Mm-hmm. So like I mentioned before, you know, I was born and raised in, in Mexico. My heritage is very important to me and the, and the work that I do. And I try to always, you know, be connected to my roots and and raise voices for those that not that they don't have a voice, but may not necessarily know how to use their voice. And so I like to create, you know, that space for people. And uh, so I've been in public health for about 25 years, and I've dedicated the last 25 years of that to work in minority sexual health, uh, meaning, you know, with and on behalf of LGBT. Q specifically, you know, my focus has been in, in HIV prevention, HIV care. Um, so that's a little bit of, about me. I identify as as lesbian. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yes. I have you are like a diamond in a rough. Also interesting that you've mentioned um you originally from the, the area of Mexico. Um mm-hmm. I am based on my mixture i am considered afro-latina i love it and i'm the third generation so we're like distant sisters in all all, yeah. all levels here what's yeah. going on here <laughs> yeah in the native american indigenous culture it's it's about you know all of your relations and so and and not only like your relationships with with other humans but you know uh soil earth um wind uh water so we honor all of our relations and so there's there's a strong connection right to blood and to our ancestry so afro-latina you know people don't think it's a real thing but it's it's a fact (laughs) yes it is yes i felt that i had to hide my sexual orientation or Mm -hmm. my identity because I was all, um, you know, 
fearful that I would be singled out and and let go and part that that I cared for was not losing the job, but I loved what I did. So, you know, when I was asked about partners, I, I would always use that like, oh, yeah, my partner. But I never openly said my girlfriend or used feminine pronouns to describe, you know, my partner. I think since back then, I got very comfortable with using the gender neutral pronouns like uh, they or them. Um, Mm -hmm. So when a lot of people started to to use like how to what are your pronouns or prefer pronouns? I was already an expert in the they them theirs. didn't want to out myself by saying, oh, yeah, she she and I went and did this this weekend or her favorite thing. It was always, you know, yeah, me, me and my partner, uh, their favorite food or their favorite place. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I understand that, you know, sometimes we feel like we have to conceive who, who we are. And I think that um, that's the part that I really appreciate about you having this space to acknowledge that that there isn't a community that feels that has to be closeted or that has to hide because of of social norms and and prejudice Mm -hmm. because uh, what the outcome can be is real like I could have lost my job Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you could be you could lose your home you you could be put in a position where you know there's violence against you um so why people choose not to disclose in my point of view it has nothing to do with being most of the time not all the time but most of the time it, it may not have to do with being um ashamed but more so being scared um, and then you know you leave your community and you go to the san francisco's and the yeah. la's and the new york's and the miami's because you know there you could be free to be who you who you truly are well you're very welcome i'm glad that i was able to get a three in one <laughs> this is <laughs> this is going to be like the crescendo of the, the month of june for me i mean you are a three in one guests and I'm so excited to even speak with you. It's been an honor. And I wanted to I wanted to ask some questions. What were your parents like? I I was um I my dad passed away when I was two, so I can't really say anything about him. And my mom, I was left to be raised by my grandparents because that's when my mom immigrated to the United States. So I didn't reconnect with her until I was about seven eight eight years old but the same things that I you know really didn't like about my mom growing up it turns out that those were some of the best qualities that now in retrospect uh, I I truly admire about her she's since uh, passed away about five years ago but she was a strong woman and I think that that there's this thing that repeats among you know black women or hispanic women that they're they're strong because they have to be because they they can't be weak in the face of adversity and so my mom was was a a very resilient woman very strong-willed she had such a such a tough character and personality growing up i thought she was just the meanest woman ever and so 
I find that I get a lot of my inner strength and my resilience from her. And, and so maybe when I was young or a child, I didn't get that. But more and more, I proud to say that I am my mother's um, child. She got that from her mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I got to see because my my grandmother, like I said, raised me. I got to see like where my mom got her strength. And definitely it was from from her parents, both of them, you know, really strong, both uneducated and in the sense of literacy, but very intelligent individuals. And so um, proud of of, of my lineage in, in that regards. I wish I would have gotten to know my father, but I know that there's a reason why he passed away when I was um, barely two, two years old. Um, I'm spiritual, so I know that he's always by my side. And he died very young. He died when he was 21. I always get that sense that he's by my side. Um, Just, I I always feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe that introverts are automatically empaths? Because I think I, that's why you have the you feel that that presence, the spiritual closeness. I think I think that it could be that because a lot of the people that I'm that I'm close to that are you know shy and need like a social crutch, like that friend to come with them. Otherwise, they feel like, what am I going to do with my hands? Have that that same uh, sensitivity, you know, to feeling people's presence and and maybe more of a spiritual understanding mm-hmm. so maybe and maybe both, both things are there together for a reason yeah sad that your father had to leave this earth so young but yeah. it's very comforting that even though he is not here physically you can still mm-hmm. feel him spiritually so that's that's awesome how would you like to be remembered? The way that I want to be remembered is really how I've set up my life to be. Everything that I do all the time on a daily basis, professionally and personally, it's because at the end of my day, the day of my funeral, I want certain things to be said about me. I want to be remembered as someone who was strong, someone who listened, someone who made an impact, someone who made positive change in the world. You know, I want my legacy to be of someone who cared. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to achieve that. It's it's hard to get there because I think that, you know, we're, we're such a immediate satisfaction type of society. What makes me feel good right now? What, what, uh, you know, that immediate gratification. And so when we have to think about the work that we have to put in to be the how do we want to be remembered, mm-hmm. it, it really does take, you know, being conscious about that showing up, being at the rallies, being at the marches, being vocal, being, you know, a true advocate. Many times you don't have to be at the rallies and the marches, but how, what difference are you making in someone's life today? Um, and all of that adds up. So it takes a lot of work to create legacy. Mm-hmm. It does. It takes a lifetime almost. That's what they say. It takes a lifetime to make a legacy. That's yeah. it's so true. You begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's 
every day you do something. That's very, very true. That's awesome. Uh, I like that thought. I like that you want to be remembered for what you do on a daily basis. And it, it, it's, and it sums up to the day that you move on uh, from this yeah. earth. But you're going to have a long, long funeral. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, it'd be for a couple of days. I know that in some cultures, the mourning process is 30 days or two weeks or couple months they display you and so everyone else can give their goodbyes and stuff like that so i just want to be cremated just stick me on a shelf you know run a couple of funny videos play a couple of you know have a dance off you know bring up some 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 glow sticks and we're good <laughs> i want my ending of to be the way my life was it was nothing yeah. but a party. I love dancing. I love singing. I love celebrating life. And if anybody could celebrate my next end to a beginning of, of another step in my afterlife, then so be it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, party. I, I I would love my for it not to be a moment of of sadness, but a moment of celebration because you know, even even at my age and I feel young, um, in, in spirit, if I died today, my life would have been full. Mm -hmm. I, there's things that I still want to do, but I've done so much already that I feel that I, I wouldn't be, oh, I'm so sad that I didn't get to to do this or that. I've I've drank all the wine. I've uh, danced all the songs. Well, maybe not all the songs, but, <laughs> you know, I've had a, a full life. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Who has been the kindest to you in your life? You know, there's there's so much, so many people that have been so kind to me. I think that I've always surrounded myself with people that uplift each other. And so I, I could immediately identify someone. To say humans have been supportive <laughs> in their little ways. <laughs> but I say that, you know, my former uh, supervisor, who, who who first was a friend, then she was my my supervisor, and you know she's been really long long uh, time you know friend of mine. She, I think that she, I want to say that she's been like one of the kindest persons to me. Not only you know, I don't think I know that uh, wisdom is not necessarily always tied to an age. This woman who is maybe about eight years younger than me was always wiser than me. She always allowed me to shine. She always gave me very, very smart insight and always gave me that space to grow. And mm -hmm. I think that that has been one of the reasons why I am so so fascinated with you know women in the sense of, of empowerment and and how women can uplift you and be what we need because they understand all of these things that we go through in life so yeah this person has been um her name by the way is natalie sanchez she's been like one of the kindest humans that i know i mean i know so many but She's the one that, that, you know, that comes to mind. And, and I think that she's, she's just incredible. We, there's so many that you want to mention, but we have such little time, but I love <laughs> that uh, 
you were able to share at least one person that that made it was the kindest in your life at this point. So what did you think your life would be like when you were older? Growing up, I always wanted to, I always wanted to be the the, the classic things that children want to be, right? A firefighter, a cop, a, a this or that, you know, th- those typical childhood dreams. But as I, uh, early on in, in life, I knew that what drove me was, was helping others. Um, I just didn't know exactly what that looked like. And, and when I was in, in high school, I had um, a teacher who introduced this concept of social justice and what that meant. And so from that point forth, I, I knew that I wanted to do something around social justice. I wanted to be an attorney. I wanted to be a criminologist. And, and not necessarily to put the bad people away, but to fight on behalf of those that, you know, that maybe were unjustly being convicted. And I knew that that I wanted to do something that was related to to law and to and to justice. I just I just didn't know what that really looked like. For many years, I just didn't know what that was, and so. I did so many uh, odd jobs, like I've had so many careers and so many jobs, more, more than careers. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I got really sick and I wasn't working and my life was just, I, I felt that it was just spinning out of control, that I just didn't know how to, you know, stop the spinning, the cycle, the the self-destructive, you know, uh, at least at, in my point of view, like I wasn't doing anything to be proud of. I, I looked at this at this magazine one day that, you know, that junk mail that comes to your house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was this this ad for for a vocational career and, and the, the logo or the slogan for this career college was, you know, we specialize in second chances. And that spoke to me because. I knew that I needed a second chance to do something with my life because I wasn't able to continue in a college career. And so I, I'm like, you know, they're it. So I became a medical assistant and that's how I got into, into the field of, of healthcare because I was a medical assistant, but I did um, one of my practicums. I did it for a, a free clinic. And I, I learned what they did. And it was like all these free services for underserved communities. It just clicked. Mm-hmm. What I was introduced to when I was in high school, maybe it wasn't the criminal aspect of, of social justice, but I knew that healthcare is also to, to healthcare social access, is activism as well. And it's part of social justice because everyone that came to to that free clinic didn't have insurance, um, didn't have money to pay for for basic stuff like I don't know how to get birth control. I I have a headache or I have a cold. I mean, just basic human rights. And Mm -hmm. that's how I got introduced to healthcare. And then when I was doing some some eligibility um, for a patient of that was coming into her clinic, a 23-year-old um, young African-American woman who, when I was asking if they had any type of insurance, 
she said, no, I, I don't, uh, but I do have Medicare. And I'm like, Medicare, you're very young. How is it that you have Medicare? And she's like, oh, it's because I have AIDS. Mm. And I was like, you're 23. How is it that you have AIDS? And, and back when I started in, in healthcare, HIV was not something that you heard happen to women. Really, it was mostly white gay men that you heard, you know, that this was happening to. So I have a very curious nature. Uh, And so I asked her, how did it happen? And so she said, well, I know that it was my second boyfriend because I've only in my life, I've only slept with two men in my entire life. And she's like, so I know that it was my second boyfriend because uh, my first boyfriend, he got tested and he's negative. And so to me, that, that spoke volumes, again, of how women didn't have the knowledge, the education, and that you didn't need to be promiscuous or that label, right, mm-hmm. of promiscuous or to contract. Back then, to me, you know, it was a deadly disease. I was just so, so moved by that. At that moment, and I must have been 24 years old back then when I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And so it all pieces of the puzzle just just came together. That's how I knew and when I knew what I wanted to be. I'm all choked up emotional about it. That was a beautiful journey that you had shared about your your path towards the social justice in regards to the health care for people of color in identifying and raising awareness of uh, HIV prevention. Um, Can you talk more about the PREP? Can you tell me about the topics about that? I'm not very familiar with that. Yeah, that's PREP. And what it stands for, it's pre-exposure prophylactic. So PREP is a pill that you take on a daily basis, and it prevents HIV. From, from being transmitted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was proved um, back in tw- at the end of 2011, uh, and it was adopted in 2012. And just as you, a lot of people don't know that PrEP is available to them. Out of all the people, 100% of all the people that are using PrEP, are, are taking this, this daily pill mm-hmm. to prevent HIV, 75% are being used by white men who have sex with men. The other percent, the 15%, is only is the only uptake by people of color, mm-hmm. in, you know, including women, including gay and bisexual men, people that I'm going to, I don't like to shush, but it's the people that should or could be taking PrEP and that are not. So, we're missing a big segment of the population from either that know about PrEP or that know about PrEP and don't know how to get on it. Or, or there, there's many reasons why PrEP is not a priority. And so we, we know that the most disenfranchised, the most vulnerable groups that could be accessing PrEP are not. And, and those are, black and brown people. And curiously enough, the highest incidence of HIV is among black and brown young men between the ages of like 15 to 26. So that's, wow. that's getting infected 
nationally with HIV when there's there's a, a pill that can prevent HIV. And so there's this these either institutional barriers, there's historical trauma around um, healthcare and the trust, young black and brown men, you know, historical trauma is a real thing. A distrust in, in medical institutes, it's a real thing. And a lot of organizations, while they may have the programs available at no cost to those that need it the most, struggle to get um, these young young men and women who are at risk through their doors because of these very real uh, factors. I, I wish that, you know, that we could reach a segment of the population and help address, you know, shame, stigma associated with, with taking a pill. And, and so a lot of that is, you know, what are people going to say about me if they know that I'm taking, you know, this, this practice pill mm -hmm. that I am promiscuous, that I am looking to, to sleep around, you know, what are others going to say? Uh, about me what does that say uh, you know about me what will others think about me so that's that internal shame or that if others find out you know because they they know their peers they know their networks their social networks what are their friends really going to say and how am I going to respond so I better not deal with that I'm going to worry about that so that is that is that you know that part of of being ashamed or embarrassed but again, those other more more real things about, you know, institutional barriers and mm -hmm. and historical distrust of the healthcare system, mm -hmm. which for a lot of people is true. It's authentic. It's there. I kind of compare it to as if I don't want to put it in the same category as someone who's taking birth control, vitamins, multivitamins. You take it every day. Well, mm -hmm. why you take it every day? Because I want to be healthy, I want to I want to have the proper nutrients. I if I'm lacking vitamins in my diet, it helps keep me healthy. I mean yeah. that same category as prep. It should kind of like one of the same. It, you, you're you're using something that's to keep you healthy and to prevent you yeah. from getting a disease, right? right? Multivitamins keeps you healthy, prevents you from getting diseases, your immune system is stronger. If you don't take these multivitamins, you take PrEP, going to yeah. prevent you from getting sick. It's the same. I mean, yeah. I know it's not uh, apple and apple, but it's pretty close. I mean, we're going to say pear and yeah. apple. I mean, yeah. that's, <laughs> I you know, the fruit. When we're, when we're talking to people uh, who are interested but are ambivalent about PrEP, that's basically that we say it's it's exactly like taking a pill every day that to prevent pregnancy or it's it's like taking a multivitamin mm -hmm. um if you think that you may not remember you know to take it, it you know it's like there's there's these strategies to help you remember but i think it's more about like what will others think about me if they know that i'm taking this so it's that again it's those cultural norms that we have you know, in communities of color or for a young gay, um, gay or bisexual young man, how is he going to explain? Um, because we've had, you know, cases of where the mom saw, saw the, the bottle, they Google what it was and the same medicine that 
is given for PrEP, it's the same medicine that people with living with HIV. It's one of the, the options that people with HIV take as well. So it's like you have HIV and, you know, you're lying to me. So they, they just discontinued PrEP and then they ended up, up testing uh, later. They came back that they had tested positive for HIV helping address, you know, the, that internal, you know, fear that the, the shame or, or, um, or that stigma that they may be faced with. That's some of the things that, you know, that at many of our organizations, we can help, you know, support them with like figuring out how, how they can uh, reduce that anxiety around taking PrEP. And they, it doesn't necessarily have to be with their primary care physician. It can be at an organization that has those services available to them, like the agency that I work for. Um, that's what we do. We provide prep free of charge to anyone that needs it. And you don't have to, because many times, you know, for, for young men, it may be that they're still under their parents' insurance. Um, and we could figure out a way of, of supporting them, not only to access it, but uh, develop strategies of, about how to have conversations with, with maybe friends who, who may come at them or how to have a conversation with the parent should they be discovered, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how to educate, you know, the family if, if that's something important, you know, to them. We've had uh, at my old organization, we had, you know, people that say, you know, uh, can you talk to my mom? Because she, she thinks that I have HIV and can you explain what PrEP is? Mobilizing communities is, is, is also key where you could get, you know, parents who who are parents of, of young gay men to know and, and then to educate each other. So there's different initiatives to educate the community. So to reduce, you know, that stigma or that shame around uh, PrEP uptake. Yes. I think this is a great opportunity to get that information. I mean, it. I'm glad it's it's sooner than later because the more that people know about this, I mean, I'm learning this today. And look <laughs> at me, I'm I'm already halfway through my life lifespan here. So glad you're able to share this. Yeah, and and you know, it's it, prep is not. It has opened the doors for people that didn't think that that they could in, in the sense of uh, how, how am I going to have sex with someone who's HIV positive? Because that happens also that mm-hmm. I meet one and then I learn that they're HIV positive, but you know, we, we can be in a relationship, but I'm scared of contracting HIV. Well, if I take this pill and this is both for men and women, so it's not just for young gay, you know, men of color, but you know, for anyone, I, I want to have a relationship with this person. This is a way of me protecting myself, me, you know, allowing myself the opportunity to have a relationship with someone who is HIV positive. And, and so there's, there's this, this double protection because if they're, they're on their medication and I'm on PrEP, the chances of, of me contracting HIV are so, so slim to almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, it, it's, it's uh, CDC um, put this out, this initiative called U equals U. So untrans- uh, undetectable equals untransmittable. So if you're undetectable because you're taking your pills, I'm on PrEP, HIV 
it's it's not transmittable. So the more that our communities, our most vulnerable communities, know and and the better choices that they can make to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. And can you tell me the if someone wanted to get to know more about this information, do you have your website available for others to look? Yes. Um, so the name of the organization that I work for, it's called Help Center for LGBT Health. Okay, we have two locations. We're located in Fort Worth. And we have a second location in Arlington. So anyone who wishes to to um, explore our services and what we do, they could find us at Help Center uh, TX, like Texas uh, mm-hmm. org, and they could schedule an appointment online. They could have a a teleprep consultation, so they don't even need to make it to our office. But if they want to learn more, um, definitely that would be a way of taking maybe that first step. The beautiful thing about um, help is that we're not limited to just Fort Worth and Arlington. We could serve anyone within the state of Texas. So you could have a a teleprep appointment and then we could uh, make sure that you get your your prep where you're at. So -hmm. you don't need to drive into town to, to pick up meds. And again, we could work with you to develop strategies around conversations and so you so you feel supported mm-hmm. so yeah so really help and and help sense um is a health education uh learning project but you know i think that help really does help those that are at most at, at most uh, risk uh, and who may need us the most um so i i wish that you know that that this podcast could reach reach them Oh, yes. I think it's going to. And I'm so ecstatic to have you as my guest. We all know someone who is gay, who may be bisexual, who may be transgender. Um, And we may not understand, you know, what all of that means or could mean. But at least for them to know that from a health perspective, you know, there's something that they could take to be safe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many times I, I would tell, you know, my clients, you may not be able to protect your heart, but you can protect your body from contracting HIV because there is this option called PrEP. So uh, I hope that, that that resonates with with your audience. For the space that, that you've made for me, uh, I, I, I really appreciate, you know, the opportunity to have been here. You, you're amazing. Um, and anytime that you want to you want to have me back, I would love to talk more about, you know, the two-spirit indigenous queer community. (laughs) Yes, please definitely keep in connection with you because that was one of the other things that I wanted to discuss. Thank you so much again. Bye-bye. Bye. Again, my name is Jasmine, also known as DJ Jim Jam. Thank you so much for enjoying my podcast. If you're wanting to be promoted for the next podcast that I have, I'm also a voiceover artist. That website is jasminecastillovoice.com. Thank you for listening and please stay tuned for the next upcoming episode. 